hurt my hands a little. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the sound bars. I must usually have this sitting differently, like higher up to my face, because it looks like I am shouting into the mic, and that's not what's happening. Well, right now... um. <laughs> You are frozen on a picture of you smiling at me as I was sitting down and about ready to start recording. Oh. So I can hear you, but there's there's no facial movement. <laughs> yeah. Well, your, uh, your mouth isn't matching <laughs> what you're saying, so. <laughs> at least we can match up the sound. <laughs> I think this one's going to be a struggle. You know what? Anyway. Oh, and as soon as you hit that, you started moving again. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back and I'm first this week. And mine is going to be on my disappointing relative. Because, uh, well, ancestor. I didn't know I died. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the strangest thing about the story is I heard it a different way where he's I don't know, the hero in the story or something. So I was kind of disappointed to hear, the, to like read this other side of it. We're like, oh, oh that's, no. that didn't go like I was told it did. So, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and right, right away with this, you're, it's a French name of a village. So it's spelled nothing like how you pronounce it. So S-E-U-L is the first word. C-H-O-I-X. Sichua. Sichua. <laughs> I, when I first looked at it, I was like, Sol Choi? What? Did, what? So, yes, it's French. <laughs> like if uh, you watched a lot of hockey back when I was a kid and you would see, I think he was the avalanche goalie. His last name was spelled Roy, but it was like Patrick Roy is how it looked. But Patrick Wah was the guy's name. I don't know if you remember him or watched a lot of hockey back in the day, but I'm I'm off on a tangent already. That has nothing to do with murder. I'm getting there. It's been a day. Okay, so Sichua is a French expression meaning only choice. It doesn't exist anymore. Now it would be um, in Gulliver. And a lighthouse was built there in 1895. And it was the only lighthouse on a 75-mile stretch on Lake Michigan between St. Ignace and Manistique. And the lighthouse still exists today as a tourist spot where visitors can climb the tower and walk the grounds and Sandy Beach. It's very pretty. In the early 1600s, it was the favorite place for uh, natives who like fishing and fur traders. So immigrants would follow the Native Americans to the fishing site. They established a small community. And by 1850, it was a village uh, with a trading store, which is how you know it was a, a very busy area for that time. But in 1859, anger and murder permeated the hamlet where fishing was the livelihood. So August Pond, which I always... I heard his name was Augustus. So maybe the author who wrote this shortened it. I don't, I don't know. 
But he was a quiet fisherman who lived in the village with his wife and three children. The oldest child was 12 and the youngest was an infant. They lived in a shanty that had one door that would have had a rope latch on the inside to keep it shut, one window and a bark roof. So these shanties were tiny and not exactly sturdy by any means. Right. Near Pond's house was a fishing net house that he owned where two fishermen employed by Pond, Daniel Whitney and Dennis Cole, lived. Whitney and Cole ate their meals with the Ponds and they they functioned a lot like family for the time. Daniel Plant, Isaac Blanchard, and Joseph Robillard were fishermen who also lived in the hamlet. They were apparently the village bullies, and Plant was the most belligerent of the three. For some reason, they had it in for Pond, and for one week in June 1859, they harassed him mercilessly. There wasn't any reason to harass Pond, but it was evidently they disliked him and humiliated him whenever they could. Plant, while at the residence of Mrs. Downey, said, I must wet Pond or there would be a fracas. I... The language of the time, there'll be a fracas. Later in the week, Pond, Blanchard, and Robillard confronted Pond and threatened him. Plant told Pond that he did not use his neighbor's right, that they ought not to pick on men not of his size and abuse them, and if Pond wanted to fight anybody, he had better take a man of his size. So during the confrontation, Plant hit Pond in his face, knocking his hat off, and then kicked him. Pond did not retaliate, but picked up his hat, put it on, and ran off into the woods. Later that evening, Plant, Robillard, and Blanchard broke into Pond's net house, startling awake a sleeping Whitney to tell them where Pond was. Whitney told Plant that he didn't know, and Plant never told Whitney why he wanted to see Pond. The trio then went to Pond's house and terrified Mrs. Pond. She knew they were up to no good and had been and had been harassing her husband and told the men he was not there. Pond, fearing for his life, never returned home that evening, but stayed at a neighbor's house. And that's kind of why I'm mad at him. Because... You didn't warm your family at all? He ran off, left his wife and three kids at home, and hid. (laughs) That was like, dude. Yeah. The following day, Plant and his asshole buddies were again looking for Pond. They found him near Peter Kloss's residence and made more threats. Again, Pond didn't respond to bullying. Instead, he quietly went home. That night, after drinking on a fishing boat between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning, Plant, Robillard, and Blanchard went to Pond's net house and began to tear the roof off. From there, they went to Pond's house and banged on the door. Again, a frightened Mrs. Pond told Plant that her husband wasn't there. Plant demanded she get some sugar for his whiskey. She complied and slid him sugar through a crack in the door. Meanwhile, (laughs) a scared August Pond was hiding under the bed and fearing for his life. Here, sweetheart, you satisfy these men and give them sugar for their whiskey or whatever they want to get them to leave. I'm going to hide under the bed like a coward. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even tell you the level of disappointed I was in my ancestor. I mean, this is like great, great, whatever, back. 
like, dude, your wife, you have children. What What is happening? So the men then went on to neighbor and Pond's cousin, Peter Ward's house, where Plant told Ward, I want to see Gus Pond. He abused an Irishman, and I want to abuse him just as bad as he abused the Irishman. But the quote beyond that from the book is, in all probability, Plant's rhetoric was made up to justify his tyranny. So the three men go back to Pond's house, where again, Mrs. Pond denied them entry, because apparently she's a badass. Uh, And they continued to tear down the net house. Plant jumped on a panicked Cull and began to choke him, demanding to know where Pond was. Cull was terrorized, but he did not respond. Because apparently Cull was also awesome. <laughs> and a badass yeah. that didn't, uh... Yeah. He didn't give up his employer. <laughs> the disappointment is, I can feel it. In the meantime, Pond went to Peter Kloss's home and retrieved a loaded double-barrel shotgun. Kloss was a nearby neighbor and Pond's cousin. Apparently, he had a lot of cousins there, because that's the second one mentioned. And upon returning to his house, Pond saw the men tearing down his net house, and he finally got enough courage to face the men. He told them, leave or I'll shoot. They ignored his demand and continued to tear down the net house. When Pond again told them to leave, they didn't. Pond then shot at the men, and pellets from the shotgun hit Isaac Blanchard. He staggered several hundred yards to a small path near some bushes and died. Shortly after killing, um, shortly after the killing, Pond turned himself into Lewis Pond, his brother, who was the village constable. Lewis was confused and unsure of what to do, so he didn't do anything. Exasperated August Pond then sought help of his two hired hands, Whitney and Call, to take him to Beaver Island, where Pond planned to turn himself over to island authorities. The three began the 25-mile rowboat journey early on Saturday morning. A vengeful plant and his cohorts didn't want Pond to go to Beaver Island. They wanted him jailed and tried at Mackinac Island. As a result, Plant and four others pursued Pond across Lake Michigan. They caught Pond's boat seven miles from Beaver Island. After Pond's capture, they took him to Mackinac Island. Pond's attorney in his trial presented a case of self-defense. At the time, the argument that you were justified in killing someone who was threatening your home wasn't yet recognized by the courts. So as a result, Pond was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Which is what Pond wanted anyways, because he was... I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I will not speak ill of your family. <laughs> I'm speaking <laughs> ill. I mean, it's not like I know the guy, so, you know. Right. It's 1859. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> Many times removed. <laughs> yeah. So, unhappy with the result, Pond's attorneys appealed the case to the Michigan Supreme Court. The attorneys felt like there were uh, sufficient grounds for ruling of justifiable homicide. In 1860, the court heard Pond's case that advocated justifiable homicide, and the court agreed with the position that the killing was justifiable and threw out the lower court's decision. The Michigan Supreme Court 
broadened the justifiable defense position and stated, A man assaulted in his dwelling is not obligated to retreat, but may use such means as is absolutely necessary to repel the assailant from his house. As a result, a new trial was ordered for August Pond. Unfortunately, Pond died before a second trial, uh, though in all probability he would have been exonerated of murder. This Michigan Supreme Court ruling, nevertheless, was a landmark decision that not only expanded the right of self-defense in Michigan, but also influenced the national legal system. Wow. So that's why in Michigan, you have the right to defend your home if someone breaks in, you know, that kind of thing, like defense of self and home or, you know, um, so Pond, an uneducated fisherman from an isolated fishing community, didn't live to know the role he played in Michigan law, um, lived in a shanty, was a decent man. Uh, <laughs> decent man who leaves his wife to face scary men um <laughs> yeah that's what the a man's home is indeed his castle or was was the quote from uh, the book that i read this in but the Mackinac island courthouse was the county seat in 1859 when pond was tried for murder in 1882, when St. Ignace became the new county seat, the old courthouse was abandoned. But in 1995, a bronze plaque was placed outside the Mackinac Island Courthouse and dedicated to the 1860 landmark decision. So I could go to Mackinac Island and see this lovely plaque of the man who abandoned his wife to face his tormentors. <laughs> And that's my story of the disappointing relative. And when I heard, when I was told that story, it was these men tried to break into his house and he defended his home. And then you find out, oh, it's a much different story not coming directly from my family. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how I read that originally. And then I, I see this version. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm getting oh, the, damn it. I'm getting the non-hero version. The man abandoned his wife. You're like, here I was set to have a full, fluffy, positive podcast episode. But my like, family member, the like, hero. My, yeah, my family damn member it. had the Pond's Law thing and you know, right to defend your home and... I read it and I shut the book and I was like, God damn it. (laughs) You son. As soon as I read where he was like hiding under the bed. You son of a bitch. (laughs) You're like, why didn't you tell me this version, guys? Uh, Yeah, it's no wonder that part was left out of the story. (laughs) Like, you live in a fishing shanty. Your wife is in a fishing shanty with three children and you are like yes i killed this man let me turn myself in you go to prison you die there and what happened to your wife i don't know what happened to her (laughs) other than well i guess i i kind of have some idea because my great grandmother was a pond 
and lived on Mackin Island, so maybe she just ended up going that way. Even though that's not a great story either, because her dad uh, fell off a ship in Detroit, like on the Detroit River, and drowned. So it's <laughs> rough for Yikes. that. Rough for that family name. Yeah, rough history, man. Yeah, and it's like, did he? Why did he fall off? Was he drunk? Did he commit suicide? I don't know. <laughs> You're like, do I even really want to know at this point? But like, you know what? How about I stop looking up family members with the last name Pond? Because it's just like, it's rough, man. Well, my mind for today is on Shannon Moore Davis, which was on Forensic, Forensic Files Season 6, Episode 13, called Horseplay. Oh. Yeah. Shannon Moore had finally done what she set out to do and fulfilled her dream of becoming a registered nurse. She still wanted more to life, though, like to be married and have children. In 1979, she went to a friend's wedding, and there, 25-year-old Shannon met 36-year-old David Davis. He told her that he owned farms across the country, even in Belize. Okay. I think it was Belize that they had said. I didn't add it in here, but I think that's what they had said. Across the across the country, even in Belize. <laughs> even somewhere. It was it was some other yeah. Some Strange yeah. Wording. Yeah. Right. And that he was worth seven figure figures. He was a millionaire. Mm. He told her that he was a veteran who had become injured in the Vietnam War. And after he tenet, attended University of Michigan, where he was on the football team. And even played in the Rose Bowl. He graduated with a degree in psychology. This sounds like a lot of bullshit. <laughs> ding, 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 class. I think we have a winner. <laughs> My red flags are just ping, ping, ping. <laughs> right, right. When Shannon came home, she spent all night talking to her mother about him. How great he was. Where her mother regretfully said, Shannon... If you let this one get away from you, you're nuts. Mm. Yeah, her mom is not happy with that decision. She, she didn't pick um, up on the red flags. No. <laughs> After only eight weeks of dating, Shannon and David were married. Oh. And moved to David's Michigan farm. They bought two Tennessee walking horses due to their gentle nature. Okay. Just remember that. <laughs> Tennessee walking horses are known for their gentle nature. On July 23rd, 1980, 10 months after the wedding, Shannon and David rode the horses to see the neighbor, Dick Britton. After David assisted Dick with some farm equipment, the couple rode off towards home. They took a shortcut through the woods. Shortly thereafter, David rushed out of the woods and back to Dick Britton's farm. Dick states that David had blood on the front of his shirt. He was sweaty and perspiring like he had just been in a fight. David claimed that Shannon's horse had bolted and that Shannon had fallen and hit her head on a rock. Hmm. Shannon had been lying on her back, eyes closed, blood on the back of her head. Her shoes were off and her blouse had been undone. Uh, what now? <laughs> Rewind. 
Shannon had been laying on her back. Her eyes were closed. Blood on the back of her head because there was a rock nearby. Yeah. Which is what she had supposedly hit her head on, according to Davis. Her shoes were off. Yeah. Started to strip and take her blouse off. And her blouse had been undone. Yeah. They got her rushed to the nearest hospital where her body was wheeled in. And when doctors checked her vital signs, there were none. Time of death was set as 8.45 p.m. The wounds on the back of her head were consistent with Davis's story. And her certificate of death stated the cause as multiple cranial and cervical spine injuries. Since Shannon died in one county and was declared dead in another, no autopsy was performed due to a jurisdictional mix-up. Oh, no. That part. As soon as as I was watching this, I had my mom sit down and watch this episode with me. As soon as they said that, we looked at each other and we both like out loud went, oh, my God. Yeah. Because we just were like, you've got to be kidding me. After her parents arrived at the hospital, they hugged Davis, who had been crying out in the hall. They started to notice things were off. When her mother was hugging David, she noticed three deep scratches on his hand and arm area. Oh. Like deep. Yeah. Deep. David then insisted that Shannon's body be cremated. Insisted on it. But her father. That's suspicious. Right. That's suspicious. (laughs) But her father, who's very much a Catholic, was very opposed to that Mm. and wanted to take her body back to Ohio with them to bury her there. An argument ensued over it and Dick Britton ended up stepping in where he yelled at Davis, the neighbor friend, Mm. yelled at Davis that these were her parents and nobody knew her here where they were. To let them take her with them where her body will be visited and she could be given flowers. Just let her go with her parents. At that point, that's when David Davis said okay and backed down. Thank God for dick fucking Britain. I'm just <laughs> saying. I never thought I would be so thankful for a dick. <laughs> <laughs> precisely (laughs) like as soon as as soon as i heard that part i said oh thank god the next day the sheriff's department visited the scene where her untied sneakers not just strewn but untied sneakers were laying about five feet apart and there was also a bloody rock where her head had there was also no one, uh, also an area w- where her, like around where her body had been that was matted down, which is odd. Shortly, um, as they, shortly after, as they were about to leave, Dick Brynn even asked about the deputies about the shoes and the deputy said, no, you can have them. You can have them? You can have them. Okay. Yeah. Here, take this dead lady's shoes. What? Just keep them. Yeah. Just keep them. Here you like, go. Aren't you going to take their shoes? Nah, you can have them. Yeah. David Davis's parents, who the Moors had never met, came to the funeral. Where what they had said made it abundantly clear 
that David was not who he'd said he was. Hmm. Turns out, he was not a millionaire. He did not own farms all, all over the country. And he had even been married prior and had two daughters. Oh, secret children. Yikes. Very much yikes. Um, something that I didn't write down in here that I will mention now. Um, what they did end up finding out was after the marriage, he didn't have any income. They literally lived off of Shannon's income as a registered nurse. Huh. Yeah. He did not bring any money into the home. I'm a millionaire who does nothing, nor do I bring in any money. That makes uh, total sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now they knew her death had not been an accident. Yeah. Dick Britton had also come to this conclusion due to David inquiring about a possible nearby farm for sale the day after Shannon's death. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he had basically asked Dick Britton, hey, is that farm owned by such and such um, still for sale? And um, he thought, how can you be thinking about buying a farm the next day after your wife died? Yeah, for real. And he said that that thought even after Davis had left, had like stuck with him for a while. Because he's like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, it should be the least of your worries right now. <laughs> right. A week later, Dick and the Moores took their suspicions to Hillsdale County Sheriff's Office, where they had discovered that David Davis had taken out multiple insurance policies oh. on Shannon's life. Shortly after their marriage, consisting of three hundred and thirty thousand dollars total. Wow. Within the ten months that they had been married, <laughs> Just, you know, they had only been married for ten months, and within that time frame, he had gotten all this insurance policies. Ugh. Insurance companies need a little red flag. <laughs> a month after her death, her parents insisted. And her body was exhumed for an autopsy. Oh, good. They found bruising on her face, shoulder, back, and a gash on the back of her head. Hiccup, sorry. But found no evidence of foul play. So the sheriff's department considered the case closed and reburied her. Mm -hmm. Billy Bowles, though, a writer for the Detroit Free Press, uncovered some devastating evidence on Davis. Because he was following this whole thing. And it didn't Good sit right with that him. Guy. Right. It's taking a farming neighbor, parents, and, and a, a reporter. Writer. Yeah. And a report yeah, a reporter for the pre free press. Um, he uncovers some devastating evidence on Davis that he was a liar, had lived off money he had gained from suspicious insurance claims, including one where there had been a fire at a farm that Davis used to own. That he had gained $30,000 off of. That he used to own. burned. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he had owned uh. it. And nobody was inside of it. And then it just burned one day. How crazy. And unexpected, but luckily insurance. Right. And then shortly after, where he had gained 30000 off of that one. And then shortly thereafter, he had left. 
in his barn was set on fire. Oh, what terrible luck. Where he gained another 6,000. <laughs> so it became obvious what type of person he was. And then it turns out that Davis had actually studied pharmacology in college. Not oh. psychology. Pharmacology. Hmm. Right. With this information, the Moore family asked the state's attorney general, Jennifer Granholm. Bleh, sorry. <laughs> she was her governor for a while. In case sorry, I just got really listening. nauseous. I wonder why. That just, that's so strange. At least she did something right. Sorry. Whoops. Did that just... Oh, catch the words. Jennifer Granholm to open a new investigation. The detective assigned realized... That had this been murder, the only way it would have worked is if Shannon had been completely immobilized. With his background in pharmacology, the investigation team asked local veterinarians what drugs farmers use with their animals that could cause paralysis. Smart. Well. One of those drugs was a powerful muscle relaxant called succinylcholine, which paralyzes every muscle except the heart. Oh, jeez. Including, including the lungs. So if you're given this outside of the hospital, where they can keep your lungs moving, huh. you will not live. You just suffocate. Correct. Yikes. One issue is that it is immediately broken down within the body and undetectable. Oh, of course. Right. David had sold his farm and move, moved to the Bahamas, where he lived on his boat with his new girlfriend. Oh, no. Within seven months of Shannon's death. <laughs> <laughs> the audacity of this man. Like, I just want to strangle him. Somebody get her off that boat before uh, she mysteriously drowns or the boat somehow catches fire and sinks. <laughs> right. Right. He was awaiting the conclusion from the investigation, or awaiting the conclusion of the investigation so that he could obtain the full amount of the insurance policies. So he had basically collected on some of the smaller ones because he had multiple. He had, he had claimed some of the smaller ones, but he really couldn't claim the one, like the one really big one, which was like 300000 until this investigation was concluded. Yeah. Those pesky moors and their bump, like their their writer, like Darn what? insurance companies not handing the money right. over. There were no known tests available to de detect succinylcholine in the body, but they had heard of a new test being developed in Sweden that would, even in embalmed tissue. Oh, ding ding ding. So they took tissue from Shannon. They took tissue from Shannon and brought it over to Sweden. It took weeks of testing, but scientists ended up finding succinylcholine in Shannon's tissues, which was huge. Which was not only huge for this test, but it was huge for this case. Yeah, that's amazing. Right. The but detectives needed more 
They needed to know where she had been injected. So for the second time, she was exhumed. And they had, um, due to her injuries being predominantly on the left side, the head, back, some more bruising, they realized that she had, um, there were some areas on her right side, like her wrist and her shoulder, hmm. that were really out of place. So they had taken tissue from every bruised area on her body, um, and that's when they realized that the tissues around her arm and her shoulder had like double to triple the amount oh. of concentrated succinylcholine, where they had now realized that she had been injected twice. Oh. Which that's enough information. That, yeah. That's it. Yeah. So they had put in, in for murder, but... Of course, Davis was nowhere to be found. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> For years. It's on a ship in the Bahamas. He can go wherever. Apparently, he moved around many places like um, California, Hawaii, Bahamas, just like all different areas. And it basically lined up into a triangle. And for eight and a half years, he had eluded authorities until the story ended up on TV. And an old girlfriend called with a tip. Nice. I'm assuming it's probably one that he might have been on the boat. They yeah. didn't say. But she's apparently, she didn't want to get involved because she was afraid for her own life. Well, can't blame her there. <laughs> but her tip was that he was living in Samoa with a Samoan wife under the name David Bell. They were finally able to apprehend him at the Pongo Pongo Airport. In 14 months, it turns out he had asked five women to marry him. Oh. The, fir- the first one who had said yes became his victim. Wow. Poor Shannon. Yeah. It turns out um, authorities believe Davis had coaxed her off her horse under the pretense of having sex. Because I guess they enjoyed having sex at nature. Out, I, outside? I mean. I won't kink shame her. You, you do you. That's her choice. Right. Um, which is why her shoes and were off and her blouse were undone. Yeah. She had taken off her shoes, set them down, sat down, undid her blouse. And that is when... Um, she least expected it. He had pounced. He had snuck up, injected her in the shoulder, where they began to fight because it hadn't fully taken effect. He then grabbed the rock, bashed her on the back of the head, laid her down, and injected, injected her again in the wrist, which that's the dose that killed her instantly. Wow. After two and a half hours of deliberating... The jury found Davis guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Good. It's messed up, but I'm very glad for the people that she did have in her life. Because although she really didn't know anybody in that area, she moved where he wanted her to move. Yeah. The neighbor was able to advocate for her, because he saw what he saw was like, wait a second. This, this ain't adding up for me. Yeah. Thank you, Dick. <laughs> yeah, right. 
And then the writer, too, the the journalist, he was like, nah, I'm going to look into this guy. Thank you, sir. Yeah, for real. That's what made him be able to go to Granholm to get another investigation was because of his what he found. So I will say, I'm glad that, yeah, it took eight and a half years, but they got that fucker. I want to know where he is now. <laughs> oh, David Davis? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see him. They had multiple things. Um, I'd gotten my my whole thing that I wrote out wasn't just from the episode. I'd gotten some information from other stuff that had been written written as well. Like um, in the movie or in the show, they didn't talk about the Vietnam War, the U of M, the like the football team, um, Rose Bowl. They had only mentioned that he had graduated in a degree of psychology, and that he was worth seven figures and all in the farms. Um, but there are other things that, like, I guess, I don't know, books, articles, things that I had also found that kind of painted a bigger picture of all of it. And it's kind of nuts. Poor Shannon. Um, basically, yeah, from what I had just pulled up that had still been on my phone, she had been the breadwinner. They had moved to his hundred acre farm and he grew corn and soybeans. And basically she took in. The money as a nurse. As a nurse. Oh, he died in Jackson Prison hmm. in 2019. Yeah, the name that he had come up with um, when he was found. So that's where I had found. Um, it was David Meyer Bell is, what, is the name that they had found him living under. He had lived in Florida, Caribbean, Alaska, Hawaii. Died Good. November 9th. 2019 in the Michigan Department of Corrections Dwayne L. Waters Health Center in Jackson. Uh, He was 70. I think he died of congenital neuromuscular disease. I hope it was painful. Sorry, that's really... (laughs) David Richard Davis. It's the middle name. A woman in Hawaii saw his case featured on Unsolved Mysteries and tipped investigators. That Unsolved Mysteries show, man, was the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They need to put more on Netflix because they only have two seasons of it. I know it. I demand more. <laughs> I need more Unsolved Mysteries to be solved, please. <laughs> yeah. But that actually helped the murder get solved. So as to where he was at least located. Yeah. So they found him. Yeah. That was the best. Everybody was obsessed with that show. Mm-hmm. And America's... Um, America's Most Wanted. Most Wanted. Heck yeah. We watched all those crime shows when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Primetime TV. <laughs> that was our family nights. We sit together... And watch Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted. Gosh. <laughs> Remember TGIF? Oh, yeah. And Saturday. Uh, One Saturday, Saturday morning. Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. So there's the wholesome God, stuff. those days were great. Wholesome stuff. And then, you know what? All those shows <laughs> that were on at that time is probably why we are obsessed. women in their 30s are obsessed with your crime is because... 
you get that you know family time watching crime shows together (laughs) well and i i think about that and i think about the fact that when we were growing up is when things really really started getting like televised and a lot of traction like yeah some things were back in the day when like black and white tvs but not to the extent that the 90s brought I don't the know. late eighties, nineties, like this. I I'd say maybe starting in the sixties or seventies, the seventies for sure, with like yeah. Ted Bundy and all that. Right. Night stuff. A lot of the th- a lot of the stuff though, um, I'd say a lot of the stuff though, was like newspapers, and yeah, they had stuff on TV, but it was like news. It wasn't as it wasn't as big, if you're yeah. like across the country. Because, you know, but I like to, I like to, at least, I don't know, I could be wrong. I don't know much about anything before, before the 90s. But Maybe um, like true crimes based TV shows. Yeah. I re- and I remember a lot of things, court cases and things happening as a kid. Like I have specific memories of Lorena Bobbitt's case. I have specific like, memories of watching OJ Simpson <laughs> driving in his Bronco. Jean Benet Ramsey. Yeah, that was big. I remember I like I have core memories of like Jean Benet, OJ Simpson. I mean, even the Bill Clinton stuff, like even though that wasn't true crime, that was like I have core memories of it. It was a big deal. Um, yeah. I mean the um Tanya Harding. Oh, yeah. Like, there's just so many things that was, that were coming out that I think it just kind of like had all of us kids that were born in the 80s growing up in the 90s, like glued. And now we're like, true crime, everything. Yeah. That's <laughs> all I could think of. And then podcast became a thing. And I was like, wait, we can talk about it <laughs> ourselves. That. Wait, this is a thing? Yeah. My gosh. I mean, and now we're learning about how when we were first figuring out computers, people were using it to murder. Yeah. AOL and stuff where we thought was innocent. (laughs) Nothing is innocent. (laughs) (laughs) It's all evil. Oh man! All right. Well, what's our what's our good news for this week? What's your hell yes? Because I am excited. I'm going on a trip. Just me and Nathan. Ooh. We're gonna get away for a long weekend. So yay! Woohoo! Rented a cabin um, with a hot tub. Nice. For real. I try to think, and I mean. <laughs> I had Monday off due to a bank holiday. Yeah. That was exciting. I, I got an extra day of rest. Not really, because I did things. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was nice. Yeah, I had the day off, too. It didn't feel like I, I really did, though. Because nope. Liam's birthday was... His birthday party was Sunday. So there's a lot of 
noise and preparation for it and then clean up. So I was tired from that. And then so yesterday I was just like wiped out. <laughs> I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Other than like, like I, ha- I had such a nice, a nice weekend to come back today and get yelled at people by people. Oh, no. Well, they didn't get to do it yesterday. They had to wait a whole extra day. <laughs> Some people were so nice, though. Like, I had got one guy on the phone for, like, 45 minutes. He had so much going on, and I, I made sure to figure out everything that I could for him. He laughed, and I laughed, and we each learned some stuff about his account that we both had no idea. And he, so he laughed in the end. He's like, hey, we, we both learned something new today. <laughs> so we sure did, sir. And he's like, you've been spectacular. Thank you for your help. I'm like, you are welcome. <laughs> then I have somebody else literally screaming at me because I have to ask them the, some questions to verify who they are before I can tell them anything about their account. You ask them a question. What is your zip code? <laughs> or what is this? Or what is that? I'm not calling about that. I'm calling about my credit card. All right, calm down, psycho. The, the, the calm. The, I, think, I think you could tell. I hope, I hope they don't listen to my call because I think you can hear the irritation in my voice. When I was like, sir, I understand that, okay? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, no, no. I was like trying so hard to rein it in, but like the Scorpio in me was like wanting to scream and repel my hair and bash my head into a wall. So I was like, I understand that. But see, I have to ask you these questions to make sure it's your account that I could be looking at. It won't let me in and take a look at what you're calling about until I ask these. So I need to ask them. All right, fine. What is it? (laughs) Bitch. Anyways, anyway, I'm going to go finish my book so you can get another Goodreads alert that I finished my book. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me, I I keep thinking about like how I need to read the next one and I keep getting like email alerts. Laura's Goodreads. I'm like, yes, I know. I need to read again, Laura. I get it. (laughs) Don't mind me. I have 10% left in this current one that I'm reading. (laughs) Which means I'm gonna receive an email, which is fine. Receive a message that your friend on Goodreads finished another book, and I giggle every time. Oh gosh! Like, and I set my challenge. I set my challenge low this year, even. Um, you know, not really murder podcast related, but I set my Goodreads challenge to read fifty books. Uh, 52 books this year so like one book a week was essentially gonna be i am at 30 books already and i'm 23 books ahead of schedule for the year (laughs) like the problem is i found a new author's uh the book series so i just i'd read their whole catalog and then (laughs) the other authors set mine yeah, at like 24 or something. So I had like two books a month. And last I knew I was ahead by a book. Yeah, but two, then I haven't read in, a, in a, like a week. Two books a <laughs> so month I is... keep getting those re- Goodreads notifications. And I'm like, I know, I need to again. I know. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't opened. 
I got this the J.J. Abrams Doug Dorse book S so, uh, Ship of Theseus and then it's there's like multiple parts to it where there's the book itself and then there's also notes in here of these students that are reading it writing uh, notes back and forth to each other within the book so it's like a there are multiple ways to read this. You can read it, you know, one thing at a time. You can read the student's book first or the actual book first or simultaneously read the book and the annotation note, whatever. And there's Which is probably like, what I'd do because my ADD, I couldn't. It's supposed to be stuff in the pages, but I don't know how I'm going to remember what's going on in the book if I'm switching between the two things all the time, so... When I finally get to this, I'll have to let you know. <laughs> yeah. I usually like an ebook because I can carry it everywhere with me. I have the app on my phone and on my iPad. So I can switch between the two depending on where I'm going or what I'm doing. And then if I have a giant book, it's a lot to carry around. And I can't read it at night in bed because <laughs> then I would keep my husband awake. So. Ah, he'll be okay. <laughs> Need one tell, of those, him, tell him to put on a sleeping mask. Need one of those reading lamps. You just yeah. clip it on the book. <laughs> put a little sleeping mask on him. A little eye mask. Yep. Go to sleep. Should. I'll get him a manly one. Do they make superhero type ones? Maybe a nice, <laughs> maybe a nice like Batman eye cover with the little ears on it and everything. Oh, I bet he'd love that. <laughs> Here, honey. Put this on so I can read and then, of course, Liam would ask if they had an Among Us one. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just the little. <laughs> I should learn how to sew and then I could make them. Anyway, we've got off on a tangent. We did. <laughs> it's time for bed. Yes. Thank you all for listening. Watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.